0: You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. All right, good morning, everyone. My name is Richard. If you don't know who I am, it's a great joy, just like Bert said, to have you here, especially if you're with us for the first time. And for the regulars, it's great to see you on this cold but sunny day. And uh, if you guys didn't know, um, Uh, The Santa Claus, the Toronto Santa Claus Parade is happening today. It's the first time I think in three years because of the pandemic. They haven't happened. This thing started in 1905 and it's been going and supposedly is the official start of the Christmas season here in Toronto. So if you're able to stick around afterwards, I think from 1230 onwards along Blue Street, it's going to be happening and uh, it's kind of fun. To uh, to see that and be part of that. Right, we're going to jump in, and we've been in our fourth teaching series um, that will be uh, finishing up in a couple of Sundays' time. But we've been working through a series called Counterculture, and we're just really looking at the way of life, values, and attitudes and virtues that Jesus calls you and I to cultivate in our lives. That's far different to sometimes what we see around us in culture, but also what we see within our own selves. And so we're using this not so much as a mirror up there, but a mirror here. And just saying, where is it in my life, as I'm trying to maybe pursue Jesus, or for some of you maybe still figuring out who this Jesus person is in your life, um, where is it that I'm maybe falling short of some of these values, some of these way of life uh, that He wants me to cultivate in? So our standard scripture that we've been looking at is Galatians 5, and other another title for this use could be the fruit of the spirit, but that sounds a lot more boring. So we went with counterculture, but basically we're looking at the nine fruit of the spirit that's outlined uh, outlined in this text right here. So here we go. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You guys should be able to recite this by now. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And this is the foundational text that we've been looking at. And so each week we've been paying attention to one of those through the Spirit. And, and so we're going to be continuing in that today. But I want to point out, when we read Scripture, especially like this, a lot of your Bible, most of your Bible, and certainly most of your New Testament, was written not to you as an individual, but to us collectively as a church community. So in a very real sense, as you read that, this is what Paul is saying. Here's what life looks like together in the spirit. Here's what life looks like or should look like together in the spirit. But it is incumbent upon you and I as individuals to also be cultivating uh, the fruit of the spirit. Now, it's a weird thing because on one hand, you can't cultivate it. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's a supernatural divine thing, right? I can't force our peace, I can't force our love, certainly not in the way that Christ would want me to, but there is a responsibility upon me to orientate myself towards God and make myself open and available regularly, intentionally for God to bring about this fruit in and through my life. And as you and as I do that, we become a community that, gosh, would be pretty compelling if we walked into church communities that were full of this, right? Full of all these great virtues. And so, Um, that's how we're to hear it and read it. And so that's how we're to grow individually and together corporately uh, into the maturity that Jesus wants us to grow into. And so in a way, um, we live in an information age, and information is really helpful in terms of your spiritual growth. But information, as you know, is very easy and is very convenient. Right now, with a few taps of your mobile device, you can grab a hold of some of the most incredible information, some of the most compelling preachers, Uh, on this planet, whatever information was. So information to us is easy and uh, convenient. And so a lot of us think our spiritual growth is just taking on more information. It's a part of it, but it's a small part of it. What we want to go is we want to go from information to what's called formation. Formation is hard because formation is complex. And it's just the graft, it's the regularity of coming to a gathering as a church community, regularly on a Sunday in a small group, reading your Bible, praying. It's those things, it's forming you, it's orientating you. It's what you and I do to put ourselves before God regularly so that Him by His Spirit can work in us. And so formation is hard. But if we do our part, we come to this transformation. And that's what God does best, is He transforms us into the kind of people that he's designed us to be, and into the character of Jesus that's characterized by the fruit of the Spirit of Christ. And so don't just stop at information. You're going to get some information today. Praise God, you need information. But it's in the practicing of it. It's in you and I putting it into practice, into the messiness of our individual and our collective efforts as we try to cultivate an orientation and a hunger and a disposition that opens us towards God and that he does what he does best. He transforms us. And so we kicked it off way back with the first fruit called love. And there's a reason why Paul almost always in his lists of virtues, if you read some of his other days, always starts with love. And it's like the uber fruit. It's like the kale uh, of the fruit of the spirit. It's like the uber fruit because in many common commentators say in the other eight are really just reflections of what love looks like. And I like that. And I think I'm going to go with that. And so today we're going to look at what love for God and others looks like, and it looks like faithfulness. And so we're talking today, faithfulness over compromise. So compromise, what do we mean by compromise? Now the word compromise can actually have a positive and a negative uh, meaning to it. In the positive, how many, uh, how many parents do we have here uh, of a child that's in the Toronto Catholic or the Toronto School District Board right now? I'm one of them. You're hoping for a positive compromise to come about run about before 5 pm tonight, right that will allow your child and my child to be physically in school tomorrow. right? You're hoping for a compromise between two parties that are at a standstill. negotiating. So in some ways, if you're married, you'll know compromise is a critical part of making your marriage work right? It's seeding ground to one another out of love and deference to one another, right? So there's a positive sense of compromise. That's not the compromise we're talking about today. There's a negative sense of the compromise. And compromise can be like an engineering term. Foundation is faulty or the structure has been compromised. It's lost its integrity. It's not safe. There's a weakness in that. Or anything. Software. We had a Software compromised in our check-in system this morning. It wasn't working. It was, was it was unreliable. I can't trust it. And so, when we come next Sunday, we're like, is this thing going to work or not? And you don't want to be kind of running your life whether something's going to work. The, the other day, I have, a, I have a wireless keyboard that I sometimes use with my my laptop that's pretty old. And uh, it's being compromised because it's connection, it'll connect and disconnect regularly. The challenge with that is whatever you were previously doing, if it disconnects, it just holds that until it connects again. And so I was I was writing an essay I had to turn in uh, an essay, um, and uh, it was it was D Day. I was doing some editing, and the last thing I pressed was backspace just to edit one little thing. And I can't tell you the terror and horror that grips one's soul when you just begin to see the backspace just start taking paragraph after <laughs> paragraph after paragraph, paragraph, and there's nothing I can do. there's nothing I can do. I'm like, ah! Uh, luckily, luckily, order um, saying and things like that helped me out. But it was just like, oh my gosh, it was that my keyboard was compromised. It was unreliable. It was inconsistent in that moment. I'm gonna toss it out or get a new one or whatever it is. But what we're looking, the compromise we're looking at today has that in mind of, of um, unreliability, and weakness. But when we're talking about one's character, when we're talking about a um, a seeding when we're being untrue to our core beliefs and values. It's the kind of compromise we're talking about, another way we need to sell out. And we've seen this in political, business, religious, sports leaders, pop culture, people that you've looked up to, people that I've looked up to, that have compromised in one way or another. And the the devastating thing with compromise is it destroys trust, right? It just destroys trust. And it's really hard and takes a long time to build up trust again in someone who's broken it in your life. And so we're talking about not being people who are going to compromise, certainly, as we're trying to follow Jesus, but to uh, mirror His faithfulness. And so faithfulness, the sense that we're talking about today is, is putting that all together. It's, it's to be reliable, to be trustworthy, to be loyal, to have a consistency about us. And so to start with the talk of faithfulness, we have to start with God. We have to talk about God's faithfulness. And so this is the great part. We have to talk about God's faithfulness. So one of the most uh, well-used descriptions of God's character in the Old Testament, you'll see it a lot in Psalms and other writings in the Old Testament, comes from this verse in Exodus 34 where Moses cries out to God, I want to know you, I want to know you. And so God actually reveals himself to Moses in an incredible way. He says this, And God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness. Aren't you glad that's on God's business card and not like the God of wrath and judgment, you know, nitpicking and very um, unrelenting in his um, judgment towards us. And so it's that last one, faithfulness. What does it mean for God to be faithful? Well, in one sense, this is a very deeply relational term. In fact, it's, it's part of the covenantal commitment that God has towards his people. God's calling his people to reciprocate his faithfulness in covenant relationship with him. I'm going to enter into a relationship with you. I'm going to enter into a partnership with you. Um, Not too far off from what we would look at today in terms of the covenant of marriage. It's that level of commitment, of faithfulness and fidelity to have one party to another. And so in the Old Testament, the faithfulness of God is a sense of his consistency, his reliability in being true to his name, his character, his actions, and his word. And it's his unrelenting commitment, particularly to his promises and to his people. And we see this time again, especially in the face of the unfaithfulness of his people. God's faithfulness is constant. It doesn't it's not determined upon our faithfulness or unfaithfulness. Two Timothy two thirteen reminds us if we are faithless, he remains faithful, he cannot disown himself. Doesn't know what it is to be inconsistent in his character doesn't know what it is to be untrustworthy, unreliable in his character. Aren't you glad? That's the kind of God we're talking about. That's the kind of God scripture is revealing to us. And so in spite of our unfaithfulness, in spite of even particularly the nation of Israel and their unfaithfulness, God remained faithful and shows himself trustworthy, there's a book in your Bible, and my Bible, it's called Lamentations, and it's a pretty sad title for a book, and if you've ever got there in your Bible reading, it's pretty heavy reading, right? It's a lot of just, if you ever gone to coffee with a friend and just vents for like an hour, that's what it feels like sitting in the company of the right of Lamentations. But kind of in the middle of the book, there's this beautiful little short passage that just warms your soul, and it's kind of tattoo-worthy, to be honest. It says this in Lamentations 3, 21, 23. It says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That even in the darkness of the lamenting of that period, why are you still faithful? In the craziness of life, in the confusion of life, God remains consistent, faithful, reliable, trustworthy, worthy of putting trust and faith in. So each day presents fresh opportunity with God. His personal integrity and trustworthiness remains intact no matter what happens. Aren't you glad now? Think about this. Have you ever tried to commit yourself to something, a a diet, a gym routine, uh, waking up at a certain time, um, Whatever it is, maybe reading a book, uh, waking up. And um, have you ever seen how inconsistent you are with trying to stick to that? Maybe it starts off well, but then you kind of like you have a couple of mornings where you're like, oh, it just doesn't feel good to get up at whatever time you want to get up. Or, oh, I'm going have a cheat day, and so you have a cheat day on your, on your whatever it is. And so we can say that sometimes I in my life, I'm consistently inconsistent, if I'm really honest. Like I'm consistent, but in a very inconsistent way. And so, God's not like that. It's not like God woke up today and like, oh, I know the sun should come out, but I'm just really tired. <laughs> it was a heavy night, Saturday night. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and I just don't feel like being good today. I'm you glad? That, but there's, a, there's a level of consistency in God, that even though you and I wake up sometimes very inconsistent, we go through ebbs and flows in the nature of our year, depending on how we feel, and the circumstances around us, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what happens, God remains faithful. God remains trustworthy. Nothing catches him off guard. We're thrown, and rightly so. We're thrown by events that happen in the world. You know, now we live in a global village. What happens on the other side of the world affects us immediately. We've lived through that the last three years, and so the pinnacle of God's faithfulness in the story of Scripture is Jesus. It's seen in the person of Jesus. God's promises. All those promises, his faithfulness and his commitment to his people and his promises climax in the person of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1:20 says like this: For no matter how many promises God has made, there are yes in Christ. He is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. There are yes in Christ. Not maybe, I'm not sure, there are yes. Acts 13, verse 32 and 33. Uh, this is Paul, he's preaching in a synagogue, and he's just recounted the story of Israel. He's speaking to Jewish leaders, and he's recounting the story of Israel, but he's talking in a way that it all points towards Jesus. He says, we tell you the good news, what God promised. Our ancestors, is, he has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. And so this God of faithfulness, who demonstrates his faithfulness in the embodiment of Jesus Christ, dies and resurrects. God shows himself trustworthy through that Jesus. And then what does he do? He invites you and I to place our faith, to place our trust in Jesus. And then through that faith, through that trust in Jesus, we're invited to a relationship, covenantal relationship with God and with covenantal blessings and promises through that. Now, if you're here today and perhaps you're still seeking um Something form spirituality. Maybe you have a need in your life. You recognise there is a as a hole in your life that you're looking for answers to fulfil. And maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you're intrigued by Jesus. Or maybe you're watching this later online, and that you're in that category. You're not quite sure what you believe, but you're open. Um, sometimes modern ideas of belief are not helpful to people like like that, because sometimes belief we think is blind belief, that we talk about faith in Jesus, people say, well, it's just faith, you know, I, you can believe in Jesus, I want to believe in science, I want to believe in concrete things, and there's this idea that it's blind belief to put your trust and faith in a person, Jesus, or in Christianity, and uh, and I think that's short-sighted, because trust and faith throughout the Bible involves the reliability of the person, of the one that's being trusted. And so there's a lot of credibility when you begin to study the life of Jesus, really. There's a lot of weightiness behind putting trust in someone like that. He meets some crazy, crazy things. But if he's really the real deal, it's worthy of you to really investigate and put our trust fully on him. The great prophet of our time, Bono, says it like this. Belief and confusion are not mutually exclusive. Now, Bono's a, a deeply uh, religious person. He's a man of faith. I believe that belief gives you the direction and the confusion, but you don't see the full picture. That's the point. That's what faith is. You can't see it. It comes back to instinct. Faith is just up the street. Faith and instinct. You can't just rely on them. You have to beat them up. You have to pummel them to make sure they can withstand it, to make sure they can be trusted. I'm not interested any much more than you should be interested in blind faith or blind belief. I'm like with Bono, you need to pummel that thing. Is this worthy of me trusting? I believe when you look at the person of Jesus Christ, he is that and much more versus all the other options that are out there. Take it from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as well. And he said like this, Christianity has no meaning devoid of Christ. The noble principles of Christianity remain abstract until they are personified in a person called Christ. Christ becomes the center or the pivotal point around which everything in the Christian faith revolves. This is no blind belief. Secondly, modern ideas of faith or belief is it's just cognitive only. It's just a belief in the mind. It's a mental sense. I can believe in something. And yes, it's important to have a level of that. Cognition is very important, but it's so much more than that. The kind of belief and faith that Scripture talks about is a whole person embodiment, a whole person response to that. And so the interesting thing throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the same uh, original word is translated both faith and faithfulness. There's no difference. No, it's, not, it's It's difficult for English English words to kind of capture the sense of that meaning. But what it does say between the interchange of faith and faithfulness is that um, belief is not just an act, an isolated act. It's not, um, and and I say this in the face of what's become really popular in the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years, particularly in Christian, is what we call decisionism. Make a decision for Jesus. Now, I don't discount that, okay? I've been in those places that you have, I've probably been in some of those altars that you've been at. And I don't discount the what God can do in a moment like that of making a decision for Jesus. But that's not fool ourselves, right? That's not just an act of belief. It's not an isolated act. It's it's a whole person response. It's a life of now being faithful to follow Jesus. And so we can call into question that act if after some time we're not representing anything of that belief that we put into in that act or easy believism. Just believe. Just pray this prayer. Just believe. Okay, great. That could be a start. But faith and belief is definitely going to mature and grow way beyond that if it's going to be true and real. So it's not just blind belief and it's not just cognitive only. The kind of belief and faith and faithfulness that Christ is calling us to is whole body response in allegiance and loyalty and trust to Jesus. So we're going to land this plan now by looking at in light of God's faithfulness. And it's really important we keep that in mind. In light of, otherwise you're going to be crushed under the weight of the responsibility of your faithfulness. But in light of God's faithfulness towards us, let's quickly look at then What is our response? What is our faithfulness? When Paul says faithfulness is the fruit of the Spirit, what is he talking about? What does it look like? What kind of sense can we get? And here's what I would submit to you. To be faithful is to be characterized by steadfast affection to an allegiance, sorry, affection for an allegiance to Jesus that manifests itself uh, in faithful living. Towards others and the world. Let's break that down into three areas. Affection. Faithfulness of affection. Question is who we love. And so again, faithfulness, I want to be very clear, faithfulness is a relational term, first and foremost. It's a covenantal term, it's a relational term. You know, one of the overarching metaphors in the Bible of God's relationship to his people is that of a bride and a bridegroom. It doesn't get more relational than that. And so let's be very clear. Faith is about a relational commitment we make to God, not a transactional relationship of terms and conditions. And Some people people kind of treat God like that. This is my part. I do my part. I expect you to do this, 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 and this. I don't think that's how relationships should work, um, and certainly not great relationships, don't work like that. Faithfulness means that we're attentive to an intentional, intentional about what or who We love, there's a place in our lives that should be unrivaled for for God. Uh, James K. Smith in his really great book, You Are What You Love, talks a lot about this, talks a lot about how um, we're really mostly shaped and formed, coming back to formation. We're formed by our loves, really, by our desires. And our desires can take us into good places and not so good places. And he says it like this, Jesus is a teacher. He doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. Why does Jesus not just want your intellect? Why does he want your heart, your, your, your longings, your desires, your passions? Because if he gets that, that's how you change your life. That's how he changes our lives. You know, sometimes, sometimes we have a Christianity where we believe the right things, Right? But it's not really in flesh. They're not really manifested out and all And that's because it hasn't gone from here to here. There are other loves. There are other lovers that are competing for attention, uh, in our heart. That's really supposed to be in the place of God. And the great thing is when we get God in the right place, we can enjoy some of those other things without them having to compete that. It's not to say that we just like have to live this monastic, you know, like life, like I'm just married to Jesus now. No, you know what I mean? But it's it's to recognize that Jesus must have first and foremost priority in my life and in my love. So firstly, it's our faithfulness in terms of our affection who captures my heart. Secondly, faithfulness of allegiance. And this asks the question, what am I trusting in? Especially in moments of times of stress, confusion, and uncertainty, what do you turn to? What do I turn to? To bring comfort in those times, to bring clarity in those times, to bring certainty in those times, to bring security? And Whatever you answer to that, that reveals where you're functioning or putting your trust in. I mean, we, we, you know, if you ever Jesus, what's the answer? I trust Jesus, right? Sure, that's the right answer. But is it really happening in my life? Is it really happening in your life? You know, when the economy goes that way, is like, are we really trusting in him? To be our provider, are we trusting in, our, in in other ways and other means? And so um, many years ago, many years ago, is about seven years ago, but it feels like the pandemic was 20 years. So, <laughs> Way back 30 years ago in 2015, I think, 2015, 2016, um, I had some hearts. I, I began to get some uh, chest pains. And so I went to my doctor, and she was like, hey, some questions. And then she referred me to a cardiologist. And so I met up with a cardiologist. And um, they were like asking questions, and then they wanted to do a thorough job of just to see what was going on, like the four chambers, were, what's going on. Blah, blah. And so there was a bunch of stuff that they, they did with me, and I remember one time I had to walk around with um, things on. I know we got some medical people here. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> things on that <laughs> monitored my chest for like 24 hours, 72 hours, and I had to monitor that. And one of the tests, uh, the performance was called a stress test. And what a stress test does is is to see how your heart, the health of your heart, the functionality of your heart performs under stress. Great name for the test. Stress test. And so the good news is it came back. I did all of that and he sat sat me down he said, you know, I think you said some pretty bad (laughs) heartburn. Which was great news when you're thinking, like, am I dying? Is this it? Like, am I, you know, I I hadn't even turned 40 then. I'm like, oh my gosh, this this is it. It's like, He's had a really bad heartburn. Sometimes stress can cause that, or whatever. So it was. I'm all good, everyone. Doesn't piss me off. So we're living in a stress test right now. Uh, life is a stress test, and um, and it's putting pressure on what are you genuinely trusting? Where is your love? What are you trusting in? What are you looking to for comfort or hope or joy? Uh, you know some of these virtues where are you looking to define that peace and that's what we're exploring here that's the mirror we're putting before ourselves and saying we know that if you're a if you're a follower of jesus you're, you're you know the right answer right you know the answer that needs to go in the paper hey, jesus i'm trusting in jesus but is it really true in your and my life and i think we're really honest sometimes it isn't I'm really trusting in this or that or you know my job's gonna give me the the happiness I'm looking for, or more money is going to give me the happiness I'm looking for, or more stability in this relationship. Now, those could be great things. Uh, Nothing wrong with getting a little bit more more money, nothing wrong with getting more stability in relationships, nothing wrong with advancing your career, absolutely not. But when they're taking an elevated place in your life, a place where you're putting too much weight upon it, they can't sustain that. Only God and His faithfulness can sustain that kind of pressure to put on. And so faithfulness of allegiance what gets my loyalty what gets my trust and so some of the sources of trust that Christ has given us are his spirit talking about the spirit of Christ the fruit of the spirit of Christ in our lives his word is scripture and the third one his church and it's become too easy in this day and age to just deconstruct all that because I had a bad experience at church I was an abusive relationship with my pastor, spiritual abuse, and sadly that happens. And it's right to be judged, and it's right for us to reflect more warn that. But to throw away the church's institution, to throw away Scripture, and to say, hey, it's just me and Jesus, that's a, a deformed sense of Christianity. It's not the way of Jesus that he's calling you and I into. Now, I wish we have more churches that display the character and the fruit of the Spirit that Paul's laying out. Let's pray for that. But listen, for every headline that you see of some pastor failing or abusing or whatever, there are hundreds of faithful men and women who are just doing the business of being faithful to Jesus' to scripture and to his body. And So let's not be arrogant and just say, long after you and I are gone, the church, his word, and his spirit will still be working. Long after we've deconstructed, reconstructed, constructed, deconverted, reconverted, Long after all that, his spirit, his word, and his church will still be here. And so we're to be faithful. We're called to have a faithfulness um, and an allegiance and a loyalty and a trust to Jesus in the everyday of life. Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews 10, he writes it like this. It's it's beautiful. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And then lastly, if we've got an allegiance and a love to Jesus internally, it's only the course of nature for that to be displayed externally. And so we're to have a faithfulness of action, a faithfulness. Our faithfulness is in how we live, being faithful, consistent in our core convictions in following Jesus. Faithfulness is a whole person response Means we embody who and what we believe. And I think the phrase faithful presence is what God calls us to have wherever you live, in time and space. Faithful presence. So, faithful, we talked about, just means living faithfully to Jesus. He's got my loyalty, He's got my love. You know, I'm faithful to His word and scripture. I'm faithful to His church, His bride. I'm faithful. But then also, presence means it's in time and space, that I'm engaged. I'm not removing myself from the world, not removing myself from culture. I'm engaging culture as a faithful presence. Just presence alone means I can get swept away by culture, and just faithfulness alone means that you have no relevance to culture. And so a faithful presence means that we're living the way of Jesus out in the real world amongst real people who are looking at your lives, going to scrutinize your lives, be intrigued by your life, be disgusted by your life, whatever it is. But that's what it means to be, have a faithful presence. And so Paul's writing to a young Timothy, one of his understudies, and he talks about this. And I think this is applicable not just to Timothy and not just people that are in, in court to vocational ministry. Every follower of Jesus needs to heed the wisdom that Paul is about to give Timothy. And I want to read it to you today. It says this, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Let's pause there. We're going to continue. But what is he doing? First, he's saying, Timothy, follow Jesus. Ultimate reality is what? Ultimate reality is Jesus and his kingdom. And so we live in fear and awe of that, knowing that God, one day we are going to stand before a judge. Uh, but to live that's ultimate reality, not the what you know, it's not the reality show that you watch on TV and I watch on TV. Ultimate reality is not what we see in the newspapers every day. I mean, that is reality. Ultimate reality is Christ and his kingdom. And so in light of that, you ready in times of convenience and favor, in season... And times when you're out of season, when it's inconvenient and there's no favor on you, and people are going to ridicule you and persecute you, that's when he's saying remain faithful to preach this gospel, this scripture. Remain faithful to that. And then continues verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears wants to, say, to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to the myths. But you... You, Timothy, follow Jesus. Keep your head in all situations. Be sober. Be alert. Be aware. Endure hardship. You know, it's like that. <laughs> do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. What is it? Be faithful. Just be faithful. Faithful to continue to do things. You know, Pastor Steve Marill, the founder of Every Nation, calls the same old boring strokes. Be faithful just to do the same things. Um, early church father, John Chrysostom, said like this, faithfulness in little things is a big thing. And so, you know, Timothy and Paul could be writing for our time and age. This is a time and age where people kind of want to go and have itching ears and like kind of want to hear what they want to hear. And, um, and but not to be panicked about that, not to be panicked about where culture is or isn't and how receptive or unreceptive it is due to Christianity. Ultimately, it's Christ and his kingdom. It, it, it's like that's a done deal. He's, he's building his kingdom. He's paying back as, 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 he's faithful. He's promised. He's, and and how, do you, how, do you, how can you back that? He rose from the grave. I'm, gonna, I'm going with that guy. That doesn't happen often, if ever. And if it did, those people eventually still land back up in the grave. It's only one person in history. So whether you believe that or not, and again, there's a lot of historical fact that lends itself, that's the only conclusion you can come to, respectfully, of all the evidence that Jesus appeared after his death and didn't die again. We don't have a shrine. We don't go to Mecca. We don't have a tomb to go to where Jesus' body is laid. It's an empty tomb. We sang that today in Christ alone. And so if He is who He says He is, I'm going with Him. My, I'm sticking with the faithful one. And everything that He said and promised is going to happen. Regardless of how I feel, regardless of what's happening in my life, I'm sticking with Him. I'm putting my trust in Him. Paul goes on and writes some more wisdom to another church in Colossia about how to be faithful, how to have a faithful presence amongst our friends, family, and people who may not believe what you believe. It says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. People are starved for Grace. We live in a cancel culture. I'll judge you upon the littlest thing I hear about you. Grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. So to close, I say this, because of God's faithfulness to us, we can be expressions of his faithfulness to the world and to one another. And when you fail to live up to that, When I fail to live up to that, and you will, and I will. It's not our intention, but we will because we are not God. We remember his mercies are new every day. Great is his faithfulness. He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. It's not so much that we have Jesus. It's that he has me. He has you. As we go into a time of uh, response and a song, I want to end with this Psalm 86. But you, O Lord, are a a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. That's a great prayer. Let's enter into that prayer now. Father, we're so thankful that you're reliable, you're consistent, you're trustworthy, you have integrity, Your track record proves it, and we see it most evidently in your commitment to us to the person of Jesus Christ, who lived, died, rose again, and promises to come back. And in the time being, has promised to build and advance His kingdom through people like us. And so, Father, we want to mirror Your faithfulness, but even in our best efforts, we fail. We're not as consistent as reliable as we could or should be, but not allowing that to crush us. We thank you that every day is new mercies from you. But by your spirit, we want to cultivate greater faithfulness in us, faithfulness in our love towards you, faithfulness in our trust in you, and faithfulness in the way that we live uh, in our time, in our space, in this place. And so would you help us? Would you turn to us and be gracious to us in this moment? Uh, would you um, help us to be a people that can grow in our faithfulness, to you and be a community that demonstrates the faithfulness of God. And would that draw people to you, God? Would that draw people to you in a world that's increasingly becoming uh, unstable and dark? And so, Father, we, we thank you for that in this moment by your Spirit in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us for more information visit our website at everynationgta.org.